for us, Shaka Tea has always been a model of how can we have the most economic and positive environmental impact in Hawaii. And it's my hope that, you know, other other people in our entrepreneurial community here might think and reframe the way they think about doing business, about a model of connecting local supply with our rich, rich agricultural, you know, uh, background in Hawaii to to national and global demand with co-packing models. There's no mistaking Bella Hughes' passion for people, the planet, the economy of the place that she calls home and the places she touches with the growing shaka tea business. After all, she and her partner are building a mission-based business that's all about those things and so much more. The blend has found success for Shaka Tea and the farmer economy being built around the brand as the company continues to expand this year. They recently completed a $4.1 million growth investment round. But for all the vision, for all the excitement, there are at least two instances in which mission needs to sit in the background. Listen in today to learn about those times, how the mission does come to life, and the magic of Mamaki, the hero ingredient bottled in Shaka tea and helping heal parts of Hawaii. I'm Christine Kapperman, and this is Fodder, the podcast offering food for thought for natural products industry professionals. Fodder is brought to you by New Hope Network's Escobono platform and is underwritten by 3018 the Giannuzzi Group, Healthy Lifestyle Brands, Morningstar Farms, Stonyfield Organic, Unilever, and Whipstitch Capital. My name is Bella Hughes, and I am the co-founder and president of Shaka Tea. And you launched this bottled tea brand back in 2016, uh, a healthy brand, an authentically Hawaiian product, bringing it to a, a wider audience. Uh, and you had these missions right away. You had this idea that you wanted to bring an unknown ingredient to the mainland and beyond, uh, that you were building local economy, expanding regenerative agriculture. Uh, boy, it just sounds like a really easy project you took on, huh? You know, in retrospect, um, and my co-founder is is Harrison Rice, who's also my husband. Um, I think we didn't quite realize, um, but that's a good thing when you are a founder, right? Exactly the monumental task at hand with truly building from the ground up, um, you know, a new economy around um, around truly an agricultural commodity and building that supply chain uh, from leaf to bottle creating a farmer network. Um, and then on top of that, of course, just all the normal trials, tribulations and, and successes of brand building. So um, it's been it's been an incredible journey. This March is our fourth year anniversary. Um, the first two years we were really just in Hawaii. Um, we co-founded this together on Oahu, where I'm from, and we're brewed with mamaki. Um, and all our mamaki right now is coming from the Big Island, um, also known as Hawaii Island. And, you know, really early on, the, the really the impetus to start Shaka Tea comes from my former life when I was in art and culture for a decade. And I was an art critic, curator going all over the world. And one of the things I noticed was the tremendous power of the Hawaiian brand, um, not just nationally, but truly globally in consumer packaged goods. But the lack of products that really had authentic ties to the islands, the brands were founded there and or they had ingredients. 
Um, and that's really where we came in with Shaka tea. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Shaka, um, it's a hand symbol where you put your three fingers uh, kind of tucked in. You got your thumb and your pinky out. I think on the continent, they sometimes say hang loose. Um, but we use Shaka. It's, it's all good. Take it easy. We use it to say hello, goodbye. Even the public buses are programmed with a Shaka when they're changing lanes. Um, and, and yeah, and what's distinct about our product is the mamaki. So mamaki um, is definitely an unknown ingredient to, I think, the majority of the population uh, in, in, in the United States and, and, you know, elsewhere. And it's actually from the nettle family. But in Hawaii, we don't have any natural land predators. So while nettles um, in North America and Europe have stingers, mamaki evolved without any stingers. Um, and it's a beautiful leaf. I mean, it's if you go Google it and look it up, you know, there are a number of different varieties within the species. Some of them have deep purple, some are hybrid pink, others are green. Um, the leaf itself can range from like the size of a child's palm and a little child, like a three or four year old, um, to literally being about 12 feet bigger than your face. Wow, I didn't realize they got so big. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, what, one of the things um, I've always been really passionate about when I was a little girl growing up um, in the late 80s and in the early 90s, you know, Hawaii has a rich agricultural past. Pre-Western contact, um, there were a million, million Native Hawaiians in Hawaii, and they were, you know, able to be self-sufficient, had incredibly um, dynamic and sophisticated agricultural systems. Post-contact, um, we really became a plantation style um, agricultural community. Um, and probably my generation was the last one that would remember big ag in terms of sugar and pineapple. And that type of farming was was really exploitative to, to Aina, the land. I mean, it was monocropping, a lot of heavy pesticides. And in terms of economic justice, it was a lot of low paid um, labor. And since most of these um, plantations have all shut down, we have a ton of fallow agland in Hawaii, an incredible climate. I think um, the Hawaiian Islands are just synonymous with quality um, and health. And what's really, really exciting about, you know, growing out in the Maki economy is um, we can work with farmers that are really, really small. A number of our farmers are just on one to five acres. Um, when they plant mamaki, they actually are restoring native ecosystem habitat um, and providing habitat for our native and endangered um, pollinator butterfly, the pulelehua, also known as the kamehameha butterfly, because mamaki is the host plant. So it's just been amazing. Farmers are really excited because we believe in paying an abundant wage. Um, Hawaii does have the highest cost of living and lowest wages in the nation. So we're able to pay a true premium. And then at the same time, not only are they able to get an ROI, the plant, you can harvest it in about nine to 12 months on average. Um, they also are really, really making an incredibly positive impact to our ecosystem and all these areas that they didn't have um, usually are pulelehua butterflies. We have farmers telling us they're coming back to their farms to the land, which is amazing. So beautiful. So when you were over on the mainland, I know you also were abroad and you thought there's this Hawaiian brand to be had. Did you know that it was Mamaki right away? How did, how did that all really come to pass for you? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think, you know, probably the best known export products presently from Hawaii are coffee um, and macadamia nuts. And one of the really interesting things that I've always, um, you know, wondered about as is Harrison is how do we create everyday usage occasion products that can affirm our commitment to Hawaii. Um, and we really believe, you know, what's good for Aina, the land, and that's through sustainable agriculture, restored native ecosystems. It's good for our communities. You're growing something in a healthy way that's healthy. So it's good for our bodies and our customers, and it's good for our economy. Um, and I think one of the challenges when you look at, you know, Hawaii today, 21st century agriculture is the majority of our export crops, they are exquisite, but they are playing in that very premium space. So not the majority of Americans, um, you know, especially with such a high percentage living paycheck to paycheck and you read about, you know, economics and, and that is not my background at all, but I continuously am researching and reading and learning more, um, you know, that there is going to be increasingly a discrepancy between, um, you know, the very wealthy and folks living paycheck to paycheck, the type of products our islands are really right now betting our agricultural future on, um, you know, they're just can really suit a very small group of people. And what's really, really, what was really important was to create a brand that the supply chain would be connecting local supply to global demand, pay that premium, farm sustainably, but again, have a product that was in the two to four dollar range. To us, that was something you could buy every day. So, um, you know, a beverage was the first thing that made a lot of sense. We are avid beverage drinkers. We are millennial consumers. Um, Harrison's from Seattle. Like I said earlier, I'm originally from Oahu. I was born and raised in Honolulu. And, you know, we've always been tea drinkers. My first present, we've, we've been together for 13 years, um, was really fancy loose leaf tea. Um, we've always enjoyed tea. I introduced him to Mamaki um, and he loved it. And then it's actually when we were living in the United Arab Emirates, um, both my children were born there and I developed a huge aversion to sugar and I couldn't have anything sweet. It just would make me feel really unwell. I was terribly homesick and Mamaki is naturally a caffeine-free tea. Um, so I would come home, visit my folks, bring home a ton, probably setting the world record. Uh, and then what I would do in the in the UAE was I would brew um, really like just huge jugs of it. And I was able to find a lot of the tropical fruits I'd grown up with, lily koi, that's what we call passion fruit. And I could get it from Kenya. I was able to source guavas from India and mango. And I would just put a little bit of that natural fruit puree. I just couldn't handle for some odd reason cane sugar. Um, and we'd, we'd been ruminating for quite some time. We always knew we wanted to be in food and beverage. I always knew my commitment was to my community. Um, and, and, you know, our greatest talents, Harrison, I probably are storytelling um, in very different ways. We have backgrounds in storytelling. Um, so beverage was always there, but it was definitely during um, my first and especially my second pregnancy. My kids are two years apart that we had that aha moment. And at the same time, we noticed in the RTDT space. And we were traveling back to the United States and all over the world. And then, you know, at the time when you're in the UAE, they have imported products from everywhere. Um, there, the majority of products, there were just kind of two sets in RTDT. You had unsweetened tea. 
And then you had teas that, um, you know, might be lightly sweetened or very, very sweet. But either way, you were packing in seven to 30 grams of sugar. And we saw there was really an opportunity to definitely um, ride the power that the Hawaii brand has globally, live out all the values um, that are really, really fundamental, I think, to just our ethos of how we're approaching life and and what our mission is to to our community. Um, And at the same time, do something people weren't really thinking about, a tea line that would be, you know, zero calories, zero gram sugar, um, but full flavor. Right. And so I, I want to say you, you were right on trend or, or or ahead of the trends where we are seeing today with low sugar, the whole caffeine story, your price point. Yeah, but thank you. St- you. We were <laughs> a little ahead. I mean, it's funny because, you know, four years ago, um, folks were not really as interested. We've done over a thousand hours of demos, um, you know, across the islands and also now nationally. And um, really, when you think about 2016, we we launched at the end of March in 2017. Um, the constant comment was about, oh, I want energy and caffeine. Fast forward 2019, 2020, and all of a sudden there is a, you know, a whole different mind frame. People absolutely consume caffeine. Um, myself, you know, I suffer from insomnia, but I need my caffeine in the morning, but I'm very religious, like what we found the majority of our customers about when you stop intaking. And there's such an emphasis on living more mindfully, valuing, you know, your, your off work time and good sleep and good sleep hygiene. So what's been really tremendous is being caffeine, naturally caffeine free, because, you know, technically, uh, shaka tea, mamaki, it's it's a herbal tea, right? And it's it's a tisan. It's it's not from the Canelia sinensis plant that has um, caffeine in the green, black, white teas. Um, it's a great beverage for the afternoon, hydrating, full flavor, but you can drink it and not worry that it would have any disruptive effects. Um, so that's been really interesting. And then price point, you know, we started out and we didn't launch with the price point that we are today because you obviously have to grow at scale to get there. But we're really proud that we are now at a 50% manufactured margin with a glass bottle. Um, and we, our SRP is 198 to 249. And we're a clean label product. We recently got Project Non-GMO verified, you know, 100% plant-based, keto, vegan, all the good stuff, but at a price point that you could buy every day. No four or $5 beverages, you know, that are a bit more of like a reach. Right. And I assume that also makes it a little easier for trial for an ingredient, the primary ingredient being something still most Americans probably don't know. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think, you know, we've, we, we are founders and we launched our business, you know, a lot of people don't talk about, um, you know, just the tremendous financial challenges. We lived off of four different credit cards and Airbnb yes. out our master bedroom and Harrison drove Lyft and always had the clink clink of the glass bottles. And then people would say, what do you do? And that's how we paid our preschool bill for, for our son at the time. And he'd say, oh, my wife and I have this company, Shaka Tea, and I'd be doing demos at the grocery store the next day. And I literally made customers buy Harrison Lyft driving because they were so excited they, that it was a real thing. 
thing. It wasn't just some random Lyft driver because, you know, you get into conversation. Um, But during that period where we were incredibly cash strapped all in on our business, um, we were extraordinarily price conscious. And the fact that, you know, especially 2016, 2017, maybe it really peaked around then, but it was quite normal to have small 12 to 16 ounce beverages that were healthy, that were four to $10. Um, That just isn't reality for, for most families, for most people, you know, that are, that are living on paycheck to paycheck. And that's where we really felt we got to, we just absolutely have to make this a product that um, is priced accessibly because healthy products need to be for all Americans. And we're also really proud um, that, you know, in a lot of CMG outlets, we are SNAP approved um, in lower income communities where they might not have grocery stores. That's a big area of focus where we want to be in um, because you can buy us on, on SNAP since we are a zero calorie, zero gram sugar, healthy product. And I hope more people um, in the food and beverage space continue to think that way about quality products, but, you know, being at a good margin and being priced accessibly. Right. And that is such a big mission on its own. And then we get back to just the plant itself and your mission uh, on the agricultural front. How are you balancing this business growth with the mission growth? Yeah, that's a phenomenally um, important question for us. And, you know, we plan our supply chain growth about 14 to 16 months out based on the next year's projections. And then we always plan about 25 to 30% more than we need. Um, What we've been doing on Hawaii Island is, you know, up until probably this point, generally speaking, uh, mamaki, which is naturally an understory, so it needs some partial shade, partial sun. Um, It grows from sea level all the way up to 6,000 feet elevation. Um, It's been foraged in the wild or, you know, you might have a little bit of a herb garden at home, a tutu's herb garden where you grow some herbal remedies. Um, So it's been a really interesting experience, like traveling to four of the different Hawaiian islands, um, learning all the different ways that folks have been growing mamaki and then really becoming um, sort of a little compendium where we now run farming workshops. We go around the islands giving talks whenever we can, um, get people excited. And, and just to reframe the way we think about agriculture in Hawaii, um, there's there's a beautiful movement, which I so honor, um, about being locally grown and locally made. Um, th- and that is something we absolutely support. But the interesting thing is when you're, when you're moving beyond maybe a business that you can self-distribute um, and you really are thinking about economies of scale. And for us, scale has always been interesting um, because the bigger we can grow shaka tea, the more consumers we can reach. The population in Hawaii is very small. We're 1.3 million. Um, you know, reach North America, reach the continental United States. And all of a sudden, you know, if you could get your product in the hands of, let's just say, even 50 million people, the economic impact of being a Hawaii grown hero ingredient product that we co-pack on the U.S. continent, um, ultimately we'll be able to have more economic impact in the local community, as well as a larger impact in terms of really championing restorative, sustainable agricultural practices. So that's just been a big um, shift. And again, the way we think about things in Hawaii, um, there's a huge, huge, amazing emphasis again on being Hawaii grown and made. And we're saying, hey, 
Um, you know, really, when we're talking about champion economic abundance, which is a conversation we really need to be having for the future of our islands and to get especially young people excited about agriculture, let's think about a new model. Have you grown hero ingredients, but manufactured where your market is. And that's really why Shaka Tea were able to pay an abundant wage um, but for the pound for farmers. We, we are able to do that because the leaf is grown here. We dry and process it here, but it's lightweight and then you can ship it. Um, we co-pack right now in California. We'll be opening up a co-packing facility relationship on the East Coast. Um, and we actually just launched in Japan um, through a co-packing and three-year licensing deal. And that's a similar model. So so we're really big advocates about talking about this and, and talking about how agriculture can be great for great for, um, you know, economic growth. And at the same time, the supply chain model where farmers of all different sizes and scales can feed into the funnel. And our job is about really doing the selling part. So farmers can be farmers and then we take on the selling and the manufacturing, the branding and the marketing. So what size, I know you mentioned earlier a little bit about the size, but what's really the range of farming size? And is this a, a mix of kind of farming cultivation with wild crafting? Is it the agroforestry? What, what, what's, what do these farms look like? Yeah, and um, again, a really wonderful question, and I think it lends to why I'm such a big proponent for mamaki, because in many ways, one can farm it in the way that suits them. Um, the, number, the two things it needs is partial sun and partial shade, and then well-drained soil. So what's been really phenomenal is we have um, we have a sister company called Shaka Forest Farms. It's a 29-acre native rainforest farm in Volcano Hawaii. And um, we actually offer tours um, on the first Friday of the month. So now folks can come up and visit. And we've been using it for the past two years as a model farm to show what true um, restorative agriculture, preserving native ecosystem habitat looks like. Um, and it's a really neat way that rather if folks want to make more money but continue their commitment to conservation, um, they can actually farm native forest. So at Shaka Forest Farms, we have ancient koa trees, ohia, and hapu'u ferns. Um, these are all native forest plants. And then the understory was filled. Um, there was wild mamaki growing on the property, but it was filled with highly invasive Himalayan ginger, one of the top 10 most invasive species. Um, so it's been a really lengthy process of removing that and then planting as the understory mamaki. We welcome school groups, we welcome new potential farmers, cultural practitioners, and the general public and getting that mission out. Um, in addition to rainforest farming and, and restoring native forest health, we have farmers doing agroforestry with um, food bearing crops, um, a variety mixed between cacao, um, ulu, ulu is breadfruit. We also have moringa and banana. These have all been really, really great overstory um, that provide that partial sun and partial shade. Um, so those are those are the primary ways um, that, that we have farmers growing. And then we have a number of farmers, particularly in the Puna region, and um, we've had some really, really great support from the Puna community. That's the community that's been um, heavily impacted by the lava flows. So the beauty th beautiful thing about mamaki is it grows great in that climate. And mamaki being endemic to Hawaii, again, it grows from sea level to 6,000 feet. You just want to ensure 
when you're planting it, you're getting um, seeds from the type of mamaki plant that is from your community. You don't want to get something that's, you know, you're finding at 4,000 feet elevation and taking that species and growing it at sea level, for instance. Um, but mamaki, you know, again, you get an ROI in nine to 12 months at lower elevations. It can be as low as six months. So we have um, six farmers from the Puna region. Um, Puna also tends to be one of the regions in Hawaii that has um, some of the deepest economic challenges. So this is an incredible crop. Uh, to, to bring back economic abundance, we pay farmers $20 a pound um, for processed mamaki. So that's just a big firm commitment we have. Um, wow, that's so fascinating in so, so many ways, mm -hmm. but especially uh, the additional challenge or thinking about the lava flow regions and, and the rehabilitation that needs to occur there, something that uh, folks on the mainland and even in other uh, high uh, natural product growing regions aren't experiencing that kind of issue to rehabilitate for. Yeah, and we're and we we've got support from State Senator Russell Ruderman to to really champion mamaki um, as a crop for you know the Puna community um, to grow. Um, but of course, at the same time, you know we are very much uh, believers in progressive capitalism and that you can do the right thing and have a profitable business. We're on the pathway to be um, in the black by the end of 2021. This past January, we grew 650 um, percent. You know we're in about 3,000 stores right now. Now we are on track to enter another 3,000. We're opening up a West Coast office. We are hiring and we're growing. So um, for us, it's always this really amazing dance of doing the most good we can do, but supply chain and logistically planning for um, security and, and really high growth. So what's really been imperative for us is ensuring that we're working with farmers across Hawaii Island and the big island um, really is gigantic. Um, and then what's really exciting about this year is we'll be adding another Hawaiian island to our supply chain because um, when you're growing from, you know, the Hawaiian islands, um, you, it's just for us, it feels like smart business, thinking with our business hats on that you have supply coming from a variety of different islands as well as regions. Right. Is there a way you could measure or uh, share the true economic impact that you all um, have been able to have? Yeah. I mean, I, we are buying well into the six figures um, of mamaki from local farmers, and uh, we will be entering the seven-figure range by 2020. One. So that's, I mean, it's, it's again, really, this is a very high growth period. So I think I'd have probably more, more statistical data get back to me at the end of 2022. Um, but I do know this is one of the best crops, if not the best, most economically viable that farmers can be growing right now. Um, and again, just the fact that you're able to plant something that is endemic to the islands, um, beyond just, of course, storytelling around that, that is wonderful with consumers and consumers increasingly seeking authenticity and transparency. Um, the fact that mamaki it's hand harvested so when farmers plant it when we say they're restoring native ecosystem planting this endemic plant they really are creating um, an environment for our native and endangered pollinator butterfly to thrive um, since it's hand harvested when they do see the cocoon they don't harvest you know at that moment that one plant or that one area and i think that's just 
so amazing. And um, for us, Shaka Chi has always been a model of how can we have the most economic and positive environmental impact in Hawaii. And it's my hope that, you know, other other people in our entrepreneurial community here might think and reframe the way they think about doing business, about a model of connecting local supply with our rich, rich agricultural, you know, uh, background in Hawaii to to national and global demand with co-packing models. Unfortunately, um, you know, just like shipping and so forth, and we don't have a deep um, co-packing sort of network here. And again, going back to just the sheer small population size, even when you add the tourist to really have large impact and build a scalable business, um, thinking this new way, local supply to national and global demand, I think will have just such a positive effect for generations to come in Hawaii. And whether we've got farmers, some of them are as small as an acre to three acres. We also are entering new relationships with some larger family farmers that have upwards of 100 acres or more. Um, I think that's the beauty of how Shakati works. And we um, are very much inspired by the stories of Guayaki, um, Runa, Kuli Kuli, and all these socially progressive, amazing businesses that are having economic impact and building supply chain models. And, and I think in many ways, the companies I just referenced all have been first to market in a, in a, in a mass way with their unique hero ingredients, whether it's Moringa or Yerba Mate or the Guayusa leaf. Um, and they've built these models that you can show. It might sound like a headache to be working with a hundred to a thousand farmers, but if other businesses have been doing this successfully, why can't we here in Hawaii? Um, and we right now work with a dozen farmers. I've got another dozen on a wait list, so I can't wait to grow even quicker um, because there's just, such an interest, um, you know, to grow this amazing plant. That's such a good point to be, uh, I guess, so committed to that mission and the quote unquote headache. Uh, we, we certainly know business is not easy, nor is mission alone easy. So finding the way through those challenging times is, is amazing year after year after year. Yeah, and I and I really what you just said really resonates. But what's interesting is before Shakati, Harrison and I had co-founded um, another company in food and beverage, and it wasn't. It was a great idea. It was a great product. It was really, really first to market, innovative, and a high quality, delicious product. It was an ice cream. It was um, a style of ice cream we had been introduced to when we were living in the Arab world. Um, Dondorma in Turkish, Buza in Arabic. It's a chew style of ice cream. Um, and I think what has been really interesting looking at that experience and looking at this experience is passion. And you need the passion and the mission because business is always going to be hard. But if there is something much deeper than, you know, your pocketbook or making a good ROI for yourself and your investors, there is something that fundamentally, I believe with every fiber in my being, we can change in a positive way and have impact in our community. And then beyond our local community, just access to high quality 
zero gram sugar full flavor tea. Tea is the second most consumed beverage in the world after water um, at a price point that's accessible. That's really what keeps you going against all the challenges because I don't know of any entrepreneur overnight success story, even if folks try to sometimes make it make it sound like that everyone struggles. It is a long journey. I firmly believe most successful brands, you know, from my experience of talking to so many founders before me are 10 years in the making. And if there is not a mission and something really, really driving you, you know, how will you be able to handle all the challenges um, and, and that just come with starting a business? Oh, that's just such a beautiful end point. But I do have one more question. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, no, please. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. These are all great questions. Because we know how important mission is in our natural products industry. And and that isn't the overnight success, even though it always appears that way on TV, right? Um, but fundraising, certainly, and getting that mission through a fundraising, um, I guess fundraising raise, I'm sorry for being repetitive there. Uh, what has that been like trying to tell that story right in front of investors? Yeah, and, and it's been very challenging. I just want to take a moment to to go over the statistics again. So uh, like 2 to 3% of venture capital goes to women-only founded teams. 85% um, you know, goes to only male founded startups. And about 15% of venture capital funding, they say, goes to male-female teams. Um, so just first and foremost, it um, there definitely is, you know, implicit bias against women founders. Um, it's been a really interesting experience that when Harris and I are together, um, we get more like the cagey questions. And when he's solo, uh, he gets the expansionist questions like, tell us your vision. Where do you want to be in five years from now at your business when when I'm there? And, and I do. I actually do. 90% of our fundraising. Um, so I'm, I'm usually the first one out there pitching, flying all over the country, um, and, you know, making the initial calls and investment calls. It's very much, um, especially presenting to, to um, more traditional investors, like how are you going to mitigate risk? What about your competitors? But I've had the opportunity to, to say where this is going and why I firmly believe Shaka Tea could be the next hundred million to billion dollar beverage brand. Um, so that's just been an interesting experience. But um, raising money is never easy. Um, there are so many great people and so many um, of, you know, the investors that have gotten behind Shaka really early were, were men that were not threatened um, by a very passionate, mission-driven, assertive, um, you know, woman-led and co-founded companies. So really, really got to honor that. I firmly believe to combat sexism, um, men are our greatest allies in that journey. Um, but raising money is, is, is hard to be, it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, I think uh, for every time we've done a funding round and we haven't raised a price a round yet, but we've done, um, an angel round and, and two seed rounds. Um, you know, it's probably, if you're going to pitch 70 people, you're going to get about four to eight yeses. And you just have to be really comfortable with that. Um, you know, the first time out, it was really emotionally hard because you feel, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with my company? Um, you know, but once you get more comfortable with the nose, not taking it personally, um, and just quickly moving forward and having a positive attitude, um, at the end of the day, and, and that underlying that, that, 
fire that a mission-driven company, a company that was founded on mission first, inherently burns, um, gets you through it. Um, I definitely have to say, though, I have become over the years far better at leading with, and it's helped me be more effective as a fundraiser with leading with data um, and how well Shakatee is doing, whether it's growth statistics, velocity data, spins, or Nielsen, and then going into the market opportunity and then going into the mission. Um, unfortunately, when you lead with mission, that, that, that definitely, especially for more serious investors, you know, you kind of might lose them there. So putting the mission as sort of the third point and why we exist rather than the first point has been um, a really, really great learning experience for me and one that I share any mission-driven founder. Such a good point. It always comes down to knowing your audience, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and also being comfortable being more, um, how do you keep your mission, but be more competitive to sell? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're in. We're in the selling game. Investors want to give us money because they want a great return. Stores want to bring us in because they need to make money. Uh, distributors, brokers, whomever you're working with, it really is sales at the end of the day. And um, some some feedback that we had and, and we were able to speak to some of the um, some of the investors and other mission driven hero ingredient brands was oftentimes when you're first to market and you're leading with the ingredient um, that might get a natural buyer's interest in a one on one meeting and make you stick out from the crowd. But in terms of just like, you know, communicating, even in the really, um, you know, maybe more specialized premium natural organic specialty channel with consumers, when you lead with a novel ingredient, that's a big marketing campaign. So what What's new um, with Shakatee is we've updated our bottles on the front label this year. It calls out why to buy us. And what we learned last year was we've got really, really dedicated consumers from the plant-based community, from the keto, paleo, low-carb, sugar-free, um, diabetic, you know, sort of eating styles. So now on the bottle on the front, really big, it says zero calories, carbs, sugar, and caffeine free is huge. So it says zero caffeine on the front. And we used to lead that were brewed with mamaki on the front of the label. Um, we now put that story on the back. And that's been a really interesting experience because obviously I want to talk about mamaki all day long, but it would make folks pause if they weren't familiar because it's like, huh, what's that? Now that you're reading on the back, what is the unique herbal ingredient we're brewed with from Hawaii? Um, you get a lot quicker traction. We've seen even better turns because the more mainstream mass reasons why folks are picking up products, zero gram sugar, keto, plant-based, caffeine-free, everything I just mentioned that's really called out because what do you have like two, three seconds max with a consumer being comfortable, maybe what you're all about to better sell, you're going to put that on the back of the label. If putting a novel ingredient on the front and you're the only one in the market working with that. Um, and that's largely because we built out supply chain and the largest supply chain of our unique herbal tea. Um, we just have moved the Mamaki story to the back because it would kind of be a what's that moment um, right on the front label. So just quickly communicating in two to three seconds why we complement mindful eater and dietary styles has been a change for us in label, one I didn't think I would probably have made in 2016, <laughs> but the, the, the type of velocity we're seeing and the turns um, has been amazing. So definitely the right decision. Boy, we could dive into that story mm -hmm. for sure. It's amazing what uh, rebranding, what label changes, it, it's it's not right out of the gate and, and to see lift 
numbers mm-hmm. overnight is always an amazing story. Absolutely. So, I thank you so much for all that you shared with our audience. Uh, It's an amazing story and we could dive into any one of these parts (laughs) deeply. Uh, And we we will, we will down the road, I'm sure. So I thank you so, so much for the time. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for giving us the platform to share a little bit about our story and our journey. Um, And I'm only, and we're only a little ways on our journey, but we learn so much. And, um, you know, if there's any founder just starting out and they're in year one or two, and they want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, always happy to, you know, have a chat and share what I've learned on this and help any other mission driven founder, um, especially, especially women, um, you know, succeed in the space. There's so much kindness in this community. Um, and I just want to pay it forward. Fodder is a production of New Hope Network, found on the interwebs at newhope.com. Thanks again to our underwriters, 301 Inc., the Giannuzzi Group, Morningstar Farms, Stonyfield Organic, Unilever, Whipstitch Capital, and Healthy Lifestyle Brands, a health and wellness company that helps visionaries positively impact the world by building health and wellness businesses around their personalities, brands, and expertise. The company is committed to helping people live healthier lives and believes that making healthy choices should be easy. To make this a reality, Healthy Lifestyle Brands works with visionaries and companies to expand their impact and connect with more consumers through the company's tools, products, and services. Consumers want brands they can trust, so the company partners with sustainable, healthy, and transparent brands that will deliver on their promises.